Hi, I'm Alyssa Williamson. Welcome to the Firefly Movement Podcast. We're here to talk about mental health and how you can get in touch with and start using your unique gifts. We're also a bunch of Enneagram nerds, so that comes in a lot. Although I'm a licensed professional counselor, I trust that you know that this is not a substitute for therapy or medical treatment. This is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Also, we are all adults here, and occasionally we do use some adult language, so just keep that in mind in case there are little ears around you, as there often are around me. You can nominate Fireflies who are making a difference and bringing light into the dark on our website at fireflymovement.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at Firefly Movement or follow my work at Alyssa Williamson Counseling or AlyssaWilliamsonCounseling.com. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to introduce our guest for today. We have Tess Clark. Tess is someone that I met just about a year ago. Uh, I met her husband originally when we both worked in the refugee services field, and so I run into him at events. Uh, But they have got an amazing ministry called Seek the Peace that is in the Dallas area where they do a lot of work with the refugee community. They also do a lot of advocacy work on behalf of immigrants and vulnerable populations here in Texas. And one of my favorite things that they do is a project called Project Shine where they do mentoring for young girls. So Tess has just been really, really an influential person when it comes to women's empowerment and then just making sure that vulnerable populations are heard and paid attention to. But I think what's so powerful about this conversation is we're talking about something that's so human, which is our need for connection with each other. And we're in a society where we're finding ourselves to be more and more disconnected, more and more lonely, and less and less likely to talk to our neighbors, our real friends, or even sometimes our family members. And so I just think the conversation that we have here is so good because it's talking about making room for community, making room for hospitality and connection, which is so important for all of our mental health and is not just something that um, I know for a lot of people can see refugees as a political issue, but really we're dealing with just a human issue and our need for connection with each other and making sure that we're reaching not only across you know, across the yard to talk to our neighbor next door, but also that we're, you know, reaching out to people who are different than us and building that human connection into our lives. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's Tess. All right. Well, Tess, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that you're willing to come out and talk to us a little bit. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember when we first met. And I think it was like we connected on Instagram first, right? I think so. Yeah, I reached out to you. And honestly, like, you're kind of in the circles that I'm in, like, a little bit of a local celebrity with Seek the Peace. And so, and I think you, like, were like, hey, we should get coffee sometime. I was like, oh, Tess wants to get coffee with me. Yeah. Anyway, so that was really, really sweet of you. Oh, when we so went fun. And hung out about a year ago. Yes. Yeah. I think it was right after I did the New York Times podcast that was coming article, out like yeah maybe. you had just been yeah. interviewed by the daily and it hadn't come out yet I think yeah there was something yeah. kind of connecting there was a lot of crazy uh, stuff going on yeah it was exciting at the time yeah and you were really really involved with a lot of advocacy and um you know political stuff going on at the time which was also cool so anyway so can you just tell us a little bit about um seek the peace and Project Shine, which are the nonprofits that you're involved with and what you guys do? 
Yes. Um, Seek the Peace has been around for 11 years, which is crazy for me to think about. Um, and I, um, my husband and I co-founded it together. And really, we've been working in the refugee and immigrant community. And a lot of our programs and the things we we do have been birthed out of the needs in the community. And what we've yeah. seen um, other groups doing well, maybe some of the like holes and some of the services. And so yeah. one of the things that we realized was there's some amazing ESL classes, amazing um, like services for clothing and food and um, after school programs for kids, but there wasn't a lot of people addressing trauma. Mm. Um, there weren't a lot of groups addressing, um, yeah, just ca- aftercare for people wow. who've been through um, that seems like such a, and again, like I'm super, super biased because I'm a trauma therapist and I worked with refugees for a long time and that's like the thing that we're steeped in and that, but it's really amazing to me with like all the services that are out there that that's the thing that's falling through the cracks. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just it's a lack of knowledge on how to do it and what yeah. to do and um, just being lay people not trained in that specifically kind of feeling like, how do I enter in, you know, to this yeah. place? And so... Um, that's really where Project Shine was came from. That's um, a program underneath Seek the Peace, and we work with teen girls. And really what I saw from living and working in the community is that the most vulnerable people were girls mm. that I continued to meet. And the things that they had experienced personally, seen their mothers go through, the things they were currently experiencing at school and at home, and a lot of them come from very patriarchal societies where they're not held in equal value to their brother. Yeah. Um, where they were living in this kind of world where they weren't being treated with a lot of dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the things that they had gone through weren't really being addressed and they were almost being disregarded. And so Project Shine burst out of this hope to kind of bring hope yeah. to these girls to give them a place where they could come and be known and be loved and be treated uh, as valuable members of society. And so um, we've been running that now for five years and it's really been incredible. A lot of the girls have been in the program for, they're going on their third or fourth year now. So we've gotten to know them really well, to go really deep. And we were trained by First Aid Arch, which is a group out of Seattle in mm. um, in trauma care for lay people to do it. And a lot of it yeah. is about accessing imagination. Yeah. That's one of the first things you lose when you go through trauma. And we always have a good pulse on, okay, some of the things that this girl might be going through are more than we're equipped to deal with. So we've got some counselors that we work with um, that we can then direct the girls mm-hmm. to. And so we're really trying to take a holistic yeah, approach which is I mean it's great that you that you have that and are doing that but for so many um people even like you don't even have to be in the refugee community but there's a lot of people just here in America that access to mental health care or um or even you know just the stigma around mental health care is such that a lot of people are never going to set foot into a counselor's office which is part of why we're doing you know this podcast and stuff is just to help educate people on that kind of thing but um the truth is for a lot of people the stuff that you're doing may be the closest thing to therapy that they ever experience you know and so that's that's really powerful so like how what are some of the things you do to help them access imagination 
Um, we do a lot of art, a lot of kind of create, you know, creative, like from role play to yeah. art projects to envisioning exercises to dream boards, just kind of yeah. anything that gives them an opportunity to really express themselves and yeah. who they are, how they see themselves. I think that's often something that's kind of overlooked is yeah. like us beginning to see how we see ourselves and getting mm-hmm. in touch with this is actually what I believe to be true yeah. about myself. And we see that in this, I think this would be common with all teenage girls is there's so many negative yeah. thoughts about themselves. And so we really try to like speak those into existence and then interchange them yeah. with, with different thoughts and feelings. And so one of the, the core components of the program is a mentor relationship. So girls are partnered with a mentor yeah. who enters into their life. I mean, who says like, you are, valuable you were worthy of my time of this relationship and I would say that our mentors often enter in going okay I get to be a part of changing this girl's life and they'll say Uh actually she changed my life and I yeah that's been really the more incredible the the unexpected kind of piece of the program is seeing how transformational it's been for both parties yeah um and how I mean, the mentors in the program are going, I've just viewed the world so differently. Yes. And my experience with this girl from this situation has informed me about all kinds of people coming out of hard places. And they just have such a compassion yeah. for people. And I think they see like that people can change and people can grow and um, mm-hmm. people can they're bigger than their circumstances. They're, you know, they can move yeah. beyond their trauma. People can heal. And we've had some girls who've come into the program who are really difficult, who at times we thought we may have to dismiss them because yeah. they're so disruptive. And we know that they're being disruptive because they're hurting. But yeah. you also have 20 other girls you have to consider and go, mm-hmm. well, she can't get all the attention. Mm-hmm. But as we put them on a plan and said, hey, we need, you know, these are the things we want to see yeah. you progress in. And we walk alongside them. We've seen these girls grow and change. We've actually never had to dismiss a girl wow. in the end um, from from the program. And th- those kinds of moments, I think, just encourage all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you know relationships transform that's amazing so do you guys have like regular meetings and then the mentors come to that or how how is this kind of set up yes so we have weekly meetings so we meet on mondays with one group of girls and on thursdays with another group so the mentors come and then we encourage the mentors to hang out with the girls at least Mm -hmm. a couple times a month outside of group and the girls will have a performance at school or you know the mentors will go have lunch with them they're it's been really neat to see some of those relationships just develop on their own. Yeah. A lot of our goal is to pr- really provide the platform for the relationship mm-hmm. and then kind of let that take off. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, too, about how for so many um, immigrant families actually being involved in someone's life that's um, outside of their immediate community is not something that happens for a lot of people. Yeah, I think there's a statistic that says... of immigrants to the U.S. have never been in an American's home. Wow. I think that's such an indictment on our culture. Yeah. You know, like we may know immigrants at work. We might, you know, know them even on our street. Yeah. Um, but we've never actually opened our doors and invited them. We'd be our friendly, homes. but we're not befriending. Yeah. Them this and like of, actually getting close to people. Yeah. The that like real true hospitality, right? Of of sharing what's yours with someone. I think. We often miss that. Yeah. Um, you know, we might say hello in the store or 
meet in the front yard and have a conversation. But there's something I think too about cooking for someone and setting a table and being yeah. intentional and saying like you are like welcome in this place. Mm-hmm. Even though we don't share the same culture, even though we don't maybe share the same religion or the ideals. And yeah. I often wonder if it's fear sometimes that keeps us from opening our doors, right? And it may yeah. not be that I'm scared of this person, but I'm scared I'm going to get it wrong. Mm. And I would say most of my refugee and immigrant friends say, get it wrong. Yeah. Invite me over anyway, because I think in the end you'll get it right. Yeah. You know, there's something freeing to that. I met a guy from Egypt who came to the U.S. to study and get his Ph.D., and we were talking, and he was actually leaving to go back to Egypt, like, right when I met him. And I said, well, I, you know, asked him about his time here, and he said, you know, I've really enjoyed it, but probably my... Like, I'm leaving with sadness because I'm leaving with a suitcase full of gifts that I brought to give to people who invited me over. He said, and no one ever did. Wow. And, again, I think that's just an indictment on sometimes on our culture and on our how comfortable we are in our own zone that we don't look up and bring people in. I think it also speaks to, like, there's this kind of phenomena of loneliness happening in American Mm -hmm. culture, too. Um, and there's a lot of speculations as to why that's going on. Most of them have to do with, you know, the tiny computer we keep in our pockets, but, um, that we're seeing kind of this cultural shift where people are more isolated from each other, whether that's like within marriages and like, it's so easy to just like look at your phone or, you know, not eat dinner together or, you know, if you eat dinner together, you're doing it in front of the television, um, you know, people are just less likely to, like, have each other over in their homes and that kind of thing in general. Um, and we're seeing this kind of weird rise in, like, depression, anxiety, suicide rates, especially as teenagers. Yeah. Um, and, again, we don't, like, we don't know all the reasons why, but it's correlated with this sharp increase in loneliness that people yeah. are experiencing. And um, I know for when I worked with children who are refugees like the big thing that was a huge shift for them first of all like you are like there's so much loss that goes on with leaving your culture and coming to a new place um so we were dealing with trauma right we're dealing with the trauma that happened in their country of origin but the next level of trauma for a lot of them was coming to a new place and all of a sudden everything about you that's ever meant anything doesn't mean anything here and you're trying to learn new language and fit in and make friends and do all the things that normal teenagers do. Um, but then you have these different cultural barriers that are kind of going on on top of it. Yeah. Um, and just the, the cultural differences where, like, you know, in your country of origin, maybe everybody sings together. And here, like, people just don't do that outside of, like, a church setting or, you know, something like that where there's a lot of meaningful engagement that happens when people are you know walking together and living in a communal setting that they're accustomed to that we not only don't have here but we're increasingly becoming more and more isolated um and the loneliness factor is a big thing I was thinking about that the other day I thought if you never wanted to interact with someone (laughs) you You don't have to you wouldn't have to I mean even the fact now that we can get our groceries delivered, mm-hmm. you know, like every, even just the regular kind yeah. of mundane things that forced you to get out of the home, to be around people who maybe weren't like you yeah. and you had to interact. Now we can do all of that from our phones mm-hmm. too. And 
like you, I think, man, the more isolated we become, the more at risk we are to to be depressed, to feel yeah. alone because no one knows us. And we are we've been created for connection. Yeah. We've been created to be known. Yeah. And when that and when that's broken, right? Yeah. When those opportunities aren't there, um, I think there's such a deep, like seated yeah aloneness that's yeah. inside of us and you know we're if people are walking around going I'm missing something yeah and I think that's the thing it's like when um because the, the program I worked with was a foster care program where people would foster kids who um were eligible for resettlement from refugee camps but maybe didn't have a parent or caregiver um so maybe like a 15 16 year old um that's on their own in that situation um and a common reflection I would hear from foster parents and sounds similar to the mentors you're dealing with is that people all of a sudden feel like they have a kind of a mirror held up to themselves of what our culture kind of is mm-hmm. and how lacking in community we are a lot of times. And um, just, the ho- I, just the hospitality of, you know, the immigrant and refugee community seems to be a real challenge and um, in like the best way to people that things can be different and we don't have to live the way that we're living. And it's, you know, seems to just be the thing that you see everywhere now. It's like, Hey, you can go find your people. Like everyone I'm dealing with in therapy is like, where are my people? And actively creating a community around you is something Mm -hmm. that, you know, people seem to just be struggling with all around. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, just with the way that that feels like the world's set up right now and expectations of even, it didn't, I, you know, a friend joked, it didn't happen if it's not on Instagram, you know, and that we feel yeah. that way. Like it, we've got to be, it's insane, you know, putting all of these things out there. And, um, yeah, it's, so it's, I, I always kind of say, like, I feel like project shine is like this little glimpse of heaven on Mondays and Thursdays where all of these yeah. people come together from different backgrounds and religions. A lot of our girls are from different religions, different yeah. countries. Some of our girls from Africa were from warring tribes in Africa. They, yeah. they would have not been friends. Mm-hmm. And we, we've come together really around this central idea that women are worthy and women yeah. are valuable. And that is, that is what we're living out together and really encouraging one another yeah. In our giftings and in our purpose and helping each other discover what that even is. Yeah. And um, so it's just been a really, yeah, kind of beautiful picture of what our lives can look like when we step outside of ourselves. Yeah. When we say, I'm going to intentionally put myself in a place where I'm going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to be a learner. Mm-hmm. I'm going to immerse in a scenario and in a situation where I don't have all of the answers. And I think for Americans, yeah. sometimes that's hard because we want to be the heroes, you know? That's kind of how we've positioned ourselves in the good. world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, and I always tell our mentors, yeah, the whole shine, like, white, like, white savior complex. Yeah. Thing. Like, yeah. That, that's not going to work here. Nope. You have to come in curious and mm-hmm. as a learner and as someone who is saying, I recognize and revere that this these girls are made in the image of God, that they have things to offer, that I am not their savior, mm-hmm. and that I'm going to come alongside them and contend for their flourishing. And as I do that, I will flourish too. And that's yeah. a lot of kind of the framework that we've built out. And I think that it then inspires you to do that in other places in your life, to live outside of yourself. Yeah. And I often wonder too, are we becoming so self-focused that that leads to depression as well mm-hmm. all I'm thinking about is myself what yeah. I have to do the way I look like my body mm-hmm. my food you know we can yeah 
we can obsess about that stuff. And I just go, man, we weren't created to live that way. No, and there's a really interesting article, and I don't remember where it was now, that I was reading that it was talking about, you know, self-care and like the whole self-care movement and how it really just isn't enough because what we actually need is community care and that's where women in our society are really struggling is, you know, you can tell women all day long, like, well, just take care of yourself, it'll be fine, when the truth is we really need each other mm-hmm. and we really need, you know, someone to come over when you're dealing with postpartum and, like, hold the baby and let you shower and, you know, yeah. and um, that's really where we thrive as human beings. And so there, there's definitely a, a personal responsibility factor of being like, yes, you need to, you know, put money in savings and go take a shower and like do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself. And so not against that at all. I'm all about that, but that we're missing the big picture. Yeah. Knowing that that's not going to be the the full thing that's going to make you feel accepted and loved and seen and known. I'm saying, yeah. I mean, I read an article similar. It said, we're all missing the village we were created for. And it kind of talked about how we were really made to live in these really communal societies where we're helping raise each other's kids and dropping dinner off at each other's homes. And, you know, really, yeah, kind of rallying and helping take care of each other. When one person's lacking, we're meeting those needs. And our society's just not set up for it. (coughs) My neighbor is actually from Alexandria, from Egypt. And probably every other week, at least... She, her son comes and knocks on my door and she gives me food because she made too much dinner. And I'm just like, I've yeah. never thought to do that. And now I know, I'll send right? dessert over. I, someone gave me flowers and I'll make her an arrangement. And I've just been like, we've been sharing more of our resources with each other. It's and contagious. Have. And I'm like, this is so fun. And yeah. I love getting to like have that kind of relationship with her that she initiated. Yeah. That's really given me a lot of life. And every time it happens, I'm just as excited as I was before. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's thinking of me. Yeah. And going, hey, I see you working hard, raising babies. I made too much dinner. Let me let me share that with you. And yeah. it's such a gift. That's amazing. Yeah. And when someone starts that, it's so easy to reciprocate and kind of keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just interesting too, because when I talk to even my grandparents, I mean, it was just incredibly normal for them multiple times a week to either have people over for dinner or go over to someone else's house for dinner. And that just seemed to be the way that people lived in some ways. Do you and think too? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I just, I've, it just seems yeah. like, you know, honestly, like I, we like having people over for dinner and going, but it's like kind of an event when we do it. It's not that was just a way of my, life. That's going to be my question because I know that I've put this on myself and I've really, and my, one of my 2020 things is like undoing this, but yeah. it's this strive for it to be perfect. So if yeah. I'm going to host dinner, I want to make a beef bourguignon and a pots de creme and have good wine and have flowers on the table. And it's like, because I yeah. can't do that all every time, right? Time-wise, financially, get yeah. my house clean. It's hard to then execute that. So I just, I've gotten to this place where I haven't had people yeah. over for dinner as often as I used to because I started thinking it needed to be an event. Yeah. When really, move your dirty laundry basket off the table. Yeah. Put some rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods that you picked up or Kroger or whatever, wherever. Yeah. But, you know, like, and I think, and I, I wonder, like, maybe someone will even feel more welcome in that 
scenario. You know, it takes like, the pressure off. Yeah, like right? come over. My house is a wreck. Let's order pizza. Yeah, and let's just commune with each other. And it doesn't have to look a certain way. Yeah. And so that's my challenge to myself um, this year is to like my friend said, let people in your dirty house, Tess. And um, yeah, I'm like she's right because I think even if someone's gonna drop by and get bring me something, my yeah. daughter broke her arm. And ended up having surgery a few weeks ago, and a friend set up a meal calendar, which was such a gift. <laughs> yeah. It was just maintenance. Hilton, my daughter, was up a lot at night. I was yeah. just tired. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and then so I'm going, oh, no, I need to clean my house before someone drops off dinner. No, and she's I like, legit cleaned my house with the, like, the meal train when I was on maternity yeah. leave with my daughter. Like, It's like, why am I doing this? No one, no one really cares. And they yeah. know it was dirty before they got here. Come on. Yeah. I'm home with a newborn, right? Here. Yeah. So the whole reason they're bringing you a meal is because you don't have the capacity to cook one for yourself. Yeah. So why so are you cleaning? We've got to let go of this, of the Pinterest dinner party and just yeah, have people real. over. For real. It's so true. Yeah. So how did you, I mean, one of the things that we talked with people about a little bit is how you got in touch with this being a passion and something that you're gifted at, because clearly you are. Um, and one of the, th- questions we ask people is if you know your Enneagram number to kind of share that just because it gives people a little bit of a framework for how you're wired. Um, but how did you get in touch with this being a part of you and this being a gifting for you? Well, I'm an Enneagram nine and then also on strength finders, my like top, um, strength is empathy. So I think that, you know, that makes sense with a nine, but really once, um, my husband and I were working in the refugee community. I just kept imagining being one of those vulnerable girls and Mm. what would I need and what would I want and what could really help change my life. Yeah. Um, and it would have been like a relationship and a relationship with someone who understood how things worked. I mean, how, you know, I've lived overseas before I've lived in China and in Jordan and I didn't have anyone kind of helping me navigate even how to go to the grocery store, you know, which, some of these girls are doing just the simplest kind of day-to-day things were mm-hmm. overwhelming when you're in another culture yeah, and in, in another country. And so from that very just kind of basics to someone like being invested in yeah. me and wanting a relationship and wanting to know me because I felt very alone when I was living in those places. And so I think a lot of it came from that kind of empathy, you mm-hmm. know, strength of mine, which was putting myself in the position yeah. Of, of these vulnerable girls. And that's really kind of where all of this birthed from. Um, and I've always been that way since I was a kid. You yeah. know, I've been very um, empathetic. Just always kind of thinking about what's this like for this other person. And so yeah. I, I always, I was a teacher before we were doing this. I, mm. Always going to do something where I was serving people in some way yeah. where I was involved in their lives and something that I felt like was purposeful. Yeah. Um, that's a big um, part of just who I am is mm-hmm. if it doesn't have a purpose, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And my husband is similar. Like we, I sometimes see we that. joke, yeah. like I would, you know, I would love to sometimes not be doing this because it's hard and you're taking on a lot of yeah. burdens. And what if I could just like do an eight to five job, which there's zero wrong with. It's just hard for me to find fulfillment in that yeah. personally for myself. And so we're, you know, have a little bit more of a crazy lifestyle um, because, of, of, because yeah. of what we've chosen to do. But it's it's been fulfilling for us. And I have an eight wing on the Enneagram, which also... I was going to say, you have to have like a really strong wing somewhere. Yeah. Because you're so... Um... Or this could also just be that the fact that you 
grown and like are very mature but for a lot of nines taking action is difficult where you're a lot of nines are very deeply empathetic but when it comes to moving towards someone and taking action either for them or for yourself that can be a challenge for some nines and you're so active and so involved in so many things and yeah. have created this whole program which is just amazing yes and that's definitely been with a lot of help from people because as a nine like there are just things that are really a lot more challenging for me than they may be for my friend who's a three and can come alongside and help <laughs> you know or my friend who's a one and can really help see kind of some of the holes in the curriculum or whatever I'm very kind of let's just go with the flow and mm-hmm. things will work out mm-hmm. sometimes and so I because I know my deficits have definitely put people around me who who have different strengths than I do yeah. and I think again that communal piece of even building this um, has been really vital for to for shine being successful and even for me mm-hmm. and some of the like different opportunities I've had and successes I'm like these come alongside like a great group of women who have walked with me um, and who've believed in this sometimes even more than I have mm-hmm. and have taken on responsibilities um, to help see it grow, to help raise funding. I mean, yeah, because there definitely are challenges to, to the nine kind of, yeah, being a lot of times just kind of, you feel overwhelmed, you don't know where to start. And so I then know I need to reach out to a friend who will help me yeah. figure that out. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. So how did you guys decide to start working in the, or living? You guys just moved into the refugee community, right? Yes. We had lived in China before, and I think we were really kind of missing that international community. Just, like, people were up late at night and always hanging out and having each other over. I mean, we really loved that aspect of living overseas, and so we were talking to some friends about that, and they said, you know, there's this big refugee community in Dallas. We were like, really? So we ended up like visiting someone was hosting an event one night and we just my husband and I looked at each other we're like we should live here wow. um and so we moved into the community and that's kind of how we got you know got started was that before did you guys have kids already or was that we before kids? kids okay yeah, that was before we had kids yeah um and yeah it kind of all happened from there we never planned to start a nonprofit. that wasn't the point um it's just that as we were living there about a year yeah. in we were going man there there's some really great things that could be done and kind of that like why not us and my husband's an eight with a seven wing and so you know he's a good he's 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 good at starting things yeah he's not always the best at like seeing them through and finishing them but yeah I am better at that because I'm it's hard for me to get started so we've we kind of have a good yeah sometimes he jokes he's like I feel like you get the credit a lot of the time but it was like my idea and I'm like that is true because he'll get it to a certain point but then he won't take it anywhere else so by the time Mm -hmm. it's ready like we have a a women's empowerment program where we make candles and I was in a magazine for it and I talked about him in the magazine but he's like well they you know they profiled me in the pictures he's like that was my idea I started it (laughs) I figured out how to make the candles I trained everyone yeah yeah but I sell them yeah exactly (laughs) you're the face of it so I you know Mm -hmm. so we kind of laugh about like that and yeah finding does he want to have his face on the candle company is that (laughs) you know and that's when I and he kind of jokes he's like I don't really care yeah but I do feel like hey I want to get a little credit you know Mm -hmm. the human in him yeah Um, and so I try to be better at acknowledging the things that he's really done and built because and I and I too I'm like you're a you're a white man like we joke about it like I'm a more interesting person to talk to 
um, about this than you are a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. He's extremely intelligent and very interesting. He's just not being asked. Yeah. He just hasn't had the same opportunities because it's the, you know, year of the woman. We'll just call it that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. But he's definitely been a huge part of everything that we're doing at Seek. And really, I always joke that he was a feminist before I was, mm-hmm. encouraged me to lean into my giftings and to do hard things and to push past that part of me who can be put things on the back burner and be a procrastinator and be kind of sluggish he's really um encouraged me and cheered me on yeah well I mean could you talk a little bit about your journey as far as coming into that label because I know inside still inside of the church there can be kind of some pushback from people And in society in general, it amazes me how many people are opposed to even, like, the feminist label still. Yeah. Um, And as a nine, too, with that, I mean, like, I can just imagine if there's, you know, conflict with people, that could be something that's challenging or difficult. Yeah. Um, And you've really been a champion for for women and women's empowerment. Yeah. I think for me, particularly with the, and I probably was scared of the word feminist before too, because mm-hmm. of what it had maybe become, right? The strongest things that had become associated with, mm-hmm. which even felt like anti-male to me. But as I yeah. started to learn more and dig deeper and learn more about God and Jesus' time on earth and Jesus, mm-hmm. I read Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie, which really yeah. kind of transformed my theology around women because I grew up in a church where women weren't held as valuable as men, right? Yeah. We were equal in that, like, we all had a role to play, but everything defaulted to the male kind of being the person, how I interpreted it, was that God was more interested in a relationship with my husband than he was with me. Mm. That it was Jason's job to lead our family, mm-hmm. my job to follow, and that the responsibilities really fell on him because ultimately he kind of was at a, and held a higher role in the kingdom, than I did and um he didn't believe that he would really try to encourage me out of that thought but that's just what had been taught to me since I was a little girl I mean I was telling a friend I can't remember as a child being asked like really kind of cultivated and what could I do as a career what do you want to be when you grow up yeah maybe people ask me that but it never felt like there was as much emphasis put on that as there was about getting married yeah and kids any career you have is to supplement your motherhood exactly yeah. which were you know and so it's like all of just I think all of these things I had internalized about what it meant to be a good wife and a good mother and a good woman placed me below my husband mm. right and so to me feminism just means believing that we are both equally worthy yeah. of the same things yeah um and like that we both are equally as important as in the kingdom of god in society in community in yeah. our homes in our parenting and our relationships that our voices carry equal weight and value Mm-hmm. And, you know, often at times he compromises that and it benefits me or I do it and it benefits him. Like we yeah. have found this place where what I hope to do in life and want to do and am doing, his hopes and wants and dreams don't supersede mine. Yeah. Right? We've got to find a way to work that out. And that's some give and take because we're parents and mm-hmm. we have, you know, we're doing lots of different things. And so like today he's home with our daughter who had a broken arm and got her pins pulled out yesterday because I, I had a day booked up he did too but he's like hey you go do your thing and I'll stay home with her and I I still think that's rare in our culture 
because it still feels like sometimes the male's role supersedes mm-hmm. the woman's. So for me, that's what, when I say he was a feminist before I was, like he yeah. believed my role in society was equally as valuable as his, but I didn't. Yeah. Wow. And so with that transformation, I mean, did that happen alongside of you working with these girls? Yeah, it did. I mean, I really think I found my voice and my, like, give some more of my giftings and my purpose in, in that place. And, yeah. you know, just kind of going, when when one woman's oppressed, we're still, we're all oppressed, right? We're yeah. all so connected. Yeah. And so if, and I was being put in positions where I could speak on behalf of these girls. And, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to raise my voice and do advocacy that I knew would benefit them and their families on the back end, things that they weren't able to do because maybe they weren't a citizen yet in the Mm -hmm. United States. So they can't vote, but I need to vote on behalf of them. I saw something the other day that said like, um, vote, like when you vote, think about the most vulnerable person that you know, you know, and that just kind of became my reality was when I got involved in advocacy and politics, it was all informed from these girls because what really I hadn't thought about it very much before because I wasn't affected mm-hmm. by politics and nearly in the ways that they were. Yeah. Even a couple of weeks ago when Governor Abbott said Texas wasn't going to take refugees anymore, we yeah. had to process that at Project Shine. Our girls wrote letters to Governor Abbott. They yeah. made videos for him. Yeah. They were so upset because yeah. they have grandparents on waiting lists and aunts and uncles and they're like, what? And, and yeah. what was overwhelmingly, it was just beautiful and really so humbling for me, was in their letters and in their videos, without any prompting, they said, I love being a Texan. Mm. I am so grateful for the opportunity that has been afforded to me to live in a free country, to get an education, yeah. to, for my family to be safe. Things that I just take for granted every day. Yeah. They're, they're living, contrasting it to their past and going, Thank you for this opportunity, Governor Abbott. Can you please extend this to more refugees? Yeah. We promise. One of the girls says, I promise I will give back 100% or more to you and to this state. You know? And just that Yeah. Um, kind of that just was overflowing out of them. Yeah. An invitation to him to be greater, to make a better choice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, I don't know that I'm someone that cared a ton about politics, honestly, like a few years ago either, but in working with refugees, like, or with, I mean, if you work with any kind of vulnerable population, um, like I tell people all the time, it's not politics, it's personal, like policies affect people. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you get to know the people on the other side of it, it, you know, it's not about, you know, what's in the news or he said she said it's about what well, has this practically going to affect the people that we love yeah yeah very much so I was talking to my dad and we have different political leanings on the phone the other day and <coughs> excuse me he was I can't remember what he was talking about but I was like you know dad the the greatest effect that the Trump presidency has had on me is that he revoked the adoption tax credit and I didn't get it when we adopted our son, which was $12,000, which was a lot of money for our family. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it was the year that they took it away. And so we didn't get that. I said, that's it though. But for my other friends that I know, for the other people that I love, that I walk with, some of these policies have 
affected their entire lives. For the DACA recipients I know who are living in fear, for the TPS recipients, for Mm -hmm. the people at the border, for the asylum seekers, judges are leaving asylum courts because they're saying, I'm having to say no to claims that I know are true under some of these new policies. Like, people's lives are hanging in the balance. Yeah. Mine was just this unfortunate financial scenario. But for other people, it's their life. And so... I have, you know, that yeah. I can't help but see it that way. Yeah. I have to see it that way. And so, you know, and he was, he's like, well, I understand that. But, you know, there's this, there's this, but, and again, it's like you were saying, it's not about Republican and Democrat. And I don't want it to be about that. It's about mm-hmm. people. And it's about what policies are affecting the people that yeah. we love and we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's coming up for you guys right now? What are you guys working on? Um, we are, I mean, really just kind of planning out 2020. Yeah. Working, I'm, um, just before I came here, met with a group in India who works with girls who've come out of trafficking, and they also do a lot of prevention and education, and they're going to adopt um, our curriculum for Project Shine. Wow. And I'm planning to go there in April and do a camp with all of their girls Yeah. Um, on kind of these principles that we've um, built out and so I'm really excited about that I hope to launch um, Project Shine in Uganda with a group who works with um, pregnant teens wow. most of who have been raped by a member of their family yeah. and are then kicked out of their families and are living in this maternity home um, so really just trying to kind of grow and expand that reach as many girls yeah. as we can empower and love with the curriculum we want to do that and we're raising funding for 2020. That's always yeah. the hardest part of my job. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the best parts when people believe in it and give. Yeah. Um, but also to grow, we just, you know, yeah, more funding is needed. And um, so that is also kind of what we have going on and just doing some work at the United Nations. Mainly on women's issues. I love how you like are just like we're just doing some work at the United Nations. <laughs> uh, it's nothing. Yes. Like, uh, tell us we, about that. Well, we got consultative status at the United Nations last year, mm-hmm. and so we have two interns there now in New York who are attending meetings that are mostly focused on like women's issues around the world. Okay. And so we're we're getting to like speak into those, make recommendations yeah. um, about how some of those things can be addressed, and so. That's been exciting. It's a new thing for us, a new adventure. Mostly we're just listening. Our interns are listening, giving notes. We're thinking about it like, hey, maybe we can make this suggestion. But really it's more learning than it is consulting at this point. Um, But that's been exciting to get to do something kind of more on a global scale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And very... um, yeah, just kind of humbling too, and like, oh my gosh, all the all of the people doing amazing work around the world, you know, convene yeah. in this place, and um, are sharing ideas. And... Yeah, but I think it shows how powerful the stuff you are doing already is, though, that it is, you know, being picked up and taken to other other parts of the globe, and um, it's just amazing to me that something that is so organic that is, you know, women coming alongside of teenage mm-hmm. girls. And building a relationship. You know, it seems so simple, but it's so revolutionary because it's what people need. Like, we can throw all the resources at issues that we want, and what people actually need is, like, human connection and relationships and people to call when you get a flat tire and when the baby's sick and you don't know what to do and, you know. One of our girls two weeks ago told a mentor – 
that a man in her community had offered her money to touch him. And we said, what did you say? And she said, I told him, no, I'm valuable. I'm not going to do that. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. Of course, we alerted the authorities. They took her testimony. He's been arrested. And just I think there were multiple, like, things happened in that. First, she knew we were Mm going to stand up for her and protect her. She was, you know, instantly worried about him going to jail. And we just had the conversation. Mm -hmm. It was actually on MLK Junior Day that she told us. Yeah. I'm like, think about you standing up and telling the truth and that he did this. How many other girls you might protect? Yeah. Because they might not say no. Yeah. Right? And, and I've, I've never worked with, and it, like sexual trauma is something I work with in counseling a lot. I've never worked with uh, a teenage girl or woman who is not, um, I think this is just the amazing dynamic of um, that kind of abuse is that I've every single time the person who um, has survived that or was victimized by that was instantly concerned about this other person going to jail. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it that's just a part of it, you know. Yeah. So it, the fact that she was willing to say something is actually really rare and really powerful. It is. And yeah. I thought the detective who interviewed her said, man, she was just so well spoken. She is really strong and she's yeah. strong in her own right. But I think coming to shine and knowing that she has people to advocate for her and believe her. Yeah. Like she knew we would believe her and then we would take action. Yeah. Really like gave her the space to tell us that this had happened yeah and she felt supported and loved and not like no one asked is like assumed she did she had a role to play in this right she was the victim he was the perpetrator end of the story um and he's now in jail and things are yeah I mean I mean honestly it sounds like every teenage girl like I'm you know we're sitting in an office in West Plano right now which is a pretty affluent area every single one of the teenage girls that I see um no matter what their resources are of their family could use something like this to help them you know and it's just the place you belong and you're known and I mean as a teenage girl I didn't want to tell my mom much about what was going on and my mom and I are close and I love Mm -hmm. my mom I felt accepted by her but there are still just parts of yourself that you, you know, are keeping private. Mm-hmm. And so, and these girls are dealing with so much more now with social media. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never allowed, if some of our girls are being bullied and it never stops because they're being bullied at school and then on yeah. social media. You know, they just, they can't escape it. And so when they come to shine, that's just this place where they're safe. Yeah. And it might be kind of the one time in the week where they are like the center mm-hmm. of the room, you know, and and we have a big emphasis on them learning to serve and live outside of themselves as well. But our mentors kind of know, like, you know, you're like you're excited to see them when they yeah. get here. Like someone is excited to to see. They are glad to be with you. Yeah. And what that does to a person, you yeah. know, the kind of life it brings. Like when I saw you in the hall, like you were glad to see me, and yeah. that makes me feel really good. And it's simple. But so often we're not, those things, that's not being extended to us. That's amazing. Well, of course I'm glad to see you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I think that's the thing that people miss though. And I think that this is a message that gets um, pitched in the church that like if we tell people that they, you know, should just be humble and that they're nothing and it's fine and like, you know, like have that mentality that people are going to be somehow like unselfish. And the truth is like when people understand their worth and their value, and how loved they are, that's when people become unselfish. Yeah. You know, like, it. there's a ripple effect with that when people are like, oh, man, I am 
worthy and loved and that means you are too and it becomes something that you know you're able to share with other people yeah it's so good yeah so really the message right is to, mm-hmm. yeah make people feel loved <laughs> live outside of yourself and I think find a place and that you can volunteer yeah your time you know that you, and people can volunteer with your organization right people can volunteer like, with us yes um and we have a wait list right now but they can get on it but there's yeah. we can point people in the direction of need like a chapter program for you yes. guys that really <laughs> we thought it, we've gotten a lot of questions about that and I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it um I would love to write like to raise enough money to hire a part-time person who just is over that and we could launch groups all over well there so, you go yes we need to <laughs> anyone knows any foundations yeah. People who might be interested in But no, you think about the out. cost of having a part-time administrative person in order to have that kind of impact. I mean, that's why mentoring programs are so powerful and like dollar for dollar are so effective is because you're using so many volunteers and truly having one stable adult in the life of a child is life-changing. And life-changing, yes. Completely changes the trajectory of the life. Yeah. And there's so, so much research that says when you invest in a girl, you invest in the whole community. Yeah. That she will take what she's learning back into her family, to her siblings, to her parents. Yeah. And she will really help transform the people around her. Yeah. And it's really incredible when you oh. think about it. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you're clearly an inspiration to me, which is why you're here, right? Because there's so much that you you do. Can, um, one of the things we ask kind of at the end of our interview to wrap up is who's someone who is a firefly or someone who brings light or has inspired you on your journey to help other people? Um, That's a great question. I actually, my answer would probably be one of the very first refugee mothers that I met. Her name's Ansile. She was a single mom with five kids in the United States. And I um, fell in love with her kids, Mm. but I didn't fall in love with her. I I brought a lot of judgment. I couldn't understand the decision she was making. I felt like I was picking up her slack. Just all of these very American kind of ideals. Um, And as I as my life began to be kind of transformed, not through just the relationship with their family, but other families, I began to see her so differently, like how strong she was, how resilient she was, how faithful she was, how full of grace she was. And I think that she's really inspired me um, in so much of what I do now um, because of the transformation that happened in my heart because she was in my life. And so... Um, I just think about her a lot and I think about him. Um, yeah, just what, just really what an incredible mother and woman she is. Um, and I'm just, I'm thankful for, for her in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you and your work? They can find us online at seekingpeace.org. Um, they can follow us on Instagram at Seek the Peace, and we're also on Facebook. Um, we're probably the most active on Instagram, and mm-hmm. they can send me a message there or send us an email, and we'd love to connect. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, as you can tell, I really enjoyed having Tess come in and talk with us about the work that they're doing. They definitely provide light and inspiration to me, and I hope they did to you as well. This is just a reminder that we do take nominations for people, so if you have someone that is providing light and is a firefly in your life, we want to hear about them, and we'd love to potentially have them come on the show. In the meantime, please like and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys next time.